Welcome in to another episode of Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman. Appreciate you listening and checking out the podcast. I'm so excited for today's guest because he's truly someone who is a friend. Last week was really cool because in a lot of ways, Gina and I are, are new friends and that podcast was like a, a forging of our friendship. John Kimes a little bit different. I've known John for, I guess, five years now, since 2015, when I walked into the media room as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed 25-year-old who had never been on a beat before, certainly not an NFL beat, and looked around and quickly realized, this dude seems to really know what he's doing. And certainly over the next five years, all the way through my time wrapping up on the beat with the end of the last football season, I just, grew, I just grew to appreciate John more, and some of the things become self-evident in this conversation, but I, I feel like it's, I should tell you on the front end, just some of the, th- the reasons why I appreciate someone who spent 25 years covering a single NFL team, specifically when that team is the one that we've covered. The Redskins haven't been that good since John covered him. You're going 25 years. Does that mean he, no, he didn't cover the Super Bowls. He came in right after. So he's seen a lot of failure and he's seen a lot of changeover. And it's really, really tough to continue to have that mental fortitude. So from that element, I mean, hats off to John for continuing to do the job. He's a journalist and he certainly takes to heart the fact that journalists don't win and lose games. Well, yes, our jobs are easier when the teams that we cover win. He just knows he has a job to do, and he's got a, an ability to do it at an extremely high level. I also appreciate John's ability to adapt over the years. He started off in newspapers doing the most traditional newspaper type of work, game stories, things like that, interviews, and, and the things that sold newspapers in the the mid to late 90s through the early 2000s and then eventually winds up with ESPN through a couple of different stops, all covering the Redskins. And ESPN has changed dramatically over the years from doing a ton of blog posts every day to now the occasional story with a lot of video content. John is able to produce on all of their platforms from ESPN.com, which is his main you know thing that he does, to video for the apps to being on television and radio he's been able to adapt change take his knowledge and share it with Redskins fans for literally a quarter century sorry John that made you sound really old but the thing that I appreciate the most about John Kime is his friendship and when I walked into that media room in 2015 I quickly realized I was in a special place that the camaraderie amongst the group there was terrific and they welcomed me into that and I found my niche and found my ability to become a part of that room and and my role in it and and we just crack on each other, tell jokes, um, but also we stand up for each other and we fight for each other because we know ultimately our jobs are all the same, to serve the fans, and as long as we have each other's backs, then we can all do that better collectively as a group and individually. And the person who sets the tone for the room as the person who's done it all these years is John. And he deserves an incredible amount of credit for that. So if you've enjoyed not only his work, but mine, J.P. Finley's, Michael Phillips, anybody that's in that room over the years, uh, Brian McNally, like we all would give some portion of our credit to John for setting the tone personally and professionally for what it means to cover the Washington Redskins. So today, this is not a Redskins podcast, um, but this is very much a podcast that is a capturing, John actually puts it really well at the end of our conversation, of capturing 
a lot of the conversations that happened in that room when he and I specifically would start talking about the craft. And what I love about this series that we're doing, uh, or that I'm doing, I guess, just me here, literally sitting in an empty house by myself, uh, the series that I'm doing here of, of talking to sportscasters is and sports writers is that it becomes about the storytelling. It becomes about the craft. It becomes about how we all approach this. And so to talk to him about that after having so many of those conversations over the years in the media room and to be able to share it with all of you is really special to me. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with my friend, John Cotton. So we met in 2015, I guess, when I came up to DC and uh, we've been really good friends basically since. And and it's one of my favorite parts about the Redskins beat. And it's the thing I'll miss the most about leaving it is is the camaraderie in that room. Um, but it, it, you don't get the chance often or, or they kind of come and go to, to talk about people's stories right. and how they, they got to that room. So I've always been curious when you're a, you were an athlete in high school and, and so you're your love of sports is obvious, but when did you, when did you realize that you wanted to become a storyteller and how did you start your career? Um, yeah, I was, I knew I wanted to stay involved in sports. That was evident. And I, so, because I played it throughout high school and you just know, like, I don't want to give that up. And you hit a point as we all do, where you say, Oh, I'm not good enough to do this part of it. I want to, you know, I can't go, I'm not going to go play and, you know, I'm not going to play baseball or whatever the sport would have been. So you realize, how can I stay involved in it? So then you start to think, you know, I like to coach. Um, would it be public relations and being involved with the team? Because I like being a part of a team, but writing appealed to me. And when I was a kid, one of the things I always remember is being outside in my yard and playing by myself I would I would go through a game by myself you know I whether it was basketball football baseball but a lot of times with football I'd come back inside I'd go down in the basement and I'd have my dad interview me and draw up like a picture of a scene from the game but I always liked those for some reason the post-game interviews appealed to me you'd see him on the field after games and I was like I want my dad to interview me like that so that was a, a little bit of a seed planted my brother was a sports writer. He was five years older, or he is five years older than me, and he went to Ohio State. So flash forward to senior year in high school, I took a journalism course at Lakewood High School, where I graduated from, and I started doing well with it. And my journalism, the journalism instructor was very encouraging and filled me with a lot of confidence. And then he was named National Journalism Teacher of the Year. Through him, there was a writing competition, and I ended up winning a scholarship that I applied to Ohio State. So that just kind of snowballed me down this path. And, you know, you go, when I was at Ohio State, I worked in the student paper, covered the basketball team when Gary Williams was there, loved it. So like you just, you start to fall in love with the entire process, which, you know, getting a front row seat to people who are at a high, high level in their profession, you know, being able to tell the stories, what happened and why, um, and, and just realizing what you had to do to get a certain level of insight and reporting. So it's just like one little nugget after another, but it, you know, I think it, it goes back to the beginning when you fall in love with sports and then a certain aspect of it, and then getting having somebody believe in you and instilling you, instilling you with that level of confidence that you need to then proceed down the rest of this path. 
Yeah. I think most people know you've at this point, or at least most people that'll be listening to this podcast will know you've covered the Redskins for 25 years. Um, you know, you have, you went to Ohio state, as you mentioned. Um, so you've been doing this now for a long time. And I, I think what's interesting about the time that we're in right now is a lot of people are chasing stories that they haven't had time for. Cause there is, especially for someone who's done the same thing for 25 years, you know, it hasn't probably felt the same cause there's been so many machinations of what the Redskins are and how media has changed in the NFL, whatever. But uh, the schedule is different now and there's more time because we're not covering OTAs. We're not covering these things. So what are some of the stories that you've been thinking about and maybe a favorite that you've been able to do that you might have been waiting a long time to do um, and always been kind of waiting for that right opportunity? You know, that's a good question. And there's some, I don't, it's, I think those stories are probably yet to come because to this point, it's been a lot about free agency and then the draft, all normal things. But during the draft, so like our lives haven't really, hadn't slowed down until the last week or two in terms of that. But leading up to the draft, right, right. what I felt was you could get more information from various people because they were at home. I knew I could call a coach that I had a relationship with because I knew he'd be at home. I knew he could get the call and not worry about being in a meeting with another coach who might say, well, who are you talking to? So I think there was more accessibility. But during that time, Craig, there were a couple of stories where I worked on the impact of the loss of pro days. And because you know you have more people who are captive audiences, I talked to Austin Eckler for it, for example. Not a guy that I cover, but I know he's at home. So I know I can get through his agent to meet up, to talk to, to Austin as part of the story and some other guys along with that. So I think that's some of the stuff that happened. And then what I have um, going in tomorrow, what I was working on today was a story on Chris Thompson going through free agency with him from the beginning to a couple weeks in to the end. So those are things where you say, okay, I have the time to do it. And he's going to be at home. So I know I will get a chance to talk to him throughout this time. And I think, you know, so you, you, I think what you do have is an ability to maybe pull more information out of people that can help you. And I, whether it's for information about pre-draft or whether it's for other stories. So I think those are some of the things that I think I've noticed throughout this period. And I think the other stories you're talking about are probably yet to come because that's when you're going to be able to get, again, you still have the captive audience at home or you still have um, people on the team that you cover who will be at home and maybe more accessible um, because of that. So I think those stories will probably be yet to come. Yeah. When you think about the common threads of your favorite stories, uh, over time, what what are some of the things that that you really enjoy that to you makes a good story? I think I I love I love chronicling somebody's journey. How did you get here? That's what I like. So and what it's not always about what you've overcome, but everybody's got a journey that they've gone on to reach this point. So that's what I'm interested. in. It isn't always. It could be. Um, <clears throat> Capri Bibbs, the running back from the Redskins a couple years ago, who grew up in Chicago and at one point was living with 20-some people in his house. And how did you go from that to here? It doesn't have to be a sob story. To me, those are success stories. Whatever he does after that, the fact that he got to this point and he was doing some things, how did you get there? And then talking to their parents about that. We just did one on Antonio Gandy-Golden. Um, with a receiver the Redskins drafted, he didn't have that kind of a story, but he had a lot of unique traits about him. And you add up all those traits, you see that's why he's here. He's got a lot of skill to do that. So I think I enjoy the journey aspect of it. Those are my favorite ones. And some of my favorite ones, like talking to Adrian Peterson, having 
talking to a guy who has achieved at a high level. How did you do that? And, you know, go, going over his workouts. But then also going, I had a chance to sit down with him one time and go over some of his high school highlight footage for a story just when he were, they were going back to play Dallas on Thanksgiving. And to talk to him about some of those games, I'm like, what do you see there? And how does that guy compare to now? And I've done that a couple times with him. So I think I've enjoyed those, the ability to gain that level of insight and access um, and, and things like that. And then I also, Craig, I also like the other side that you and I a lot of times talk about are the, exit, the, the, the on-field stuff and going back and watching that stuff and then going and talking to a player about it because you can form an opinion after watching it and then after you talk to them, you may realize that you were either incorrect you know, what you're, you're going to get more insight, whether it's good, incorrect, or whether it was your assumptions were correct. You're going to get more insight. So I enjoy going and doing that. But the journey ones always appeal to me because everybody's got a story. And it's like, why are you here? What did it take to get you here? I like those stories. Yeah, and I think one of the things that people may not realize is how similar those two types of stories are. Really what you're doing is explaining how you get from A to B. And in the journey story, it's how did you get from your childhood to your adulthood or whatever moment that is the the flashpoint that you're focused on in that particular story to the moment that you are now and possibly where you want to be and how do those dots connect. And it's the same thing for a particular play. I mean, McVeigh used to say it all the time, you know, each play is its own entity. And and another version of that is, you know, each play has its own story. And, And from the X's and O's on paper, there is actually a point before that. Um, and there's many points before that in terms of the setup, you know, did you run something in the first half or run something three weeks ago that looks similar, that gets the defense to do something that then those X's and O's start darting in different directions. And, uh, all of a sudden, uh, you have a, a big play. Uh, and how did you set that up? How did, how did game planning and understanding what the other coach was trying to accomplish or what their tendencies are play into that? So I, I think it's to me, like when I think about storytelling, it's about explaining something that is not the obvious or even better, um, and this sounds a little more uppity to say it this way, but like we're professionals for a reason, explaining something that takes a level of expertise that the, the person reading it or consuming it, uh, if it's a television or a radio story, consuming it uh, doesn't have. That, that is, is explaining a higher level than the surface level understanding. And to get there, Craig, and, that's, and you're right, and I love that part of it. And to get there, you have to, like, for example, if you're going to go talk to a player about a game or um, a running back who is here and, like, okay, you're, the transition that you have the NFL, where it was Darius Geis or even, like, a Samaj P. Ryan, they all have a transition. And it doesn't mean they're going to make it, but they all are going through it. Or even Dwayne Haskins. So you can go watch some of the plays that they had. And this is what I love. So, like, if you see something and you say, oh, I can ask him about this play because I think this may symbolize this. And I think what athletes appreciate and coaches appreciate if you do that, and then they start to open up more and see my job and our job is, how do you connect with these players and coaches? And for me, the older I get, well, I don't, I'm not gonna sit there and talk to them about, you know, I'm not talking about the same kind of music or this thing or that thing, but I can talk to them about what they do. And that opens the door for other things, but it gives you, it, it's able, you're able to provide a different level of insight because their answers are going to be better. 
And, you know, and it just, you know how this works. Like sometimes it's a matter of for us, you're in a game, you're in a group session with somebody and like I've got, you know, I'll ask them some questions there, but I got something really specific that I don't know that anybody else might have or know or maybe you saw and I'll wait till they pull away and I'll go ask Terry McLaurin or whomever it is about a particular play and then they'll say, oh yeah, that's an indication of this and then we can go deeper. So I think being able to provide that insight has always been one of my most enjoyable parts because I know that it comes from not just me, oh, I'm watching a game, oh, I got it. No, it comes from sitting down and re-watching the game and watching certain plays over and over and over again. So I think it's, you know, I understand for me what went into that question, which is why I like it. It doesn't always go down the road I think it is. You know, there was a time back when... Um, when RG3 was here, and I remember watching him, I watched every play he had that his rookie year. And I remember talking to Mike Shanahan about something, and I asked him about, you know, oh, he got better on third, you know, in the inside the red zone, or, or it changed. He said, what happened? And I had one theory. He goes, no, it was actually because they started to play, they started to play us more zone, and so it opened up other parts of our offense. That takes the story in a different way. But it's just you see the impact mm-hmm. of Griffin's legs and all that, and that. So like that's I mean as you as we can you can probably tell I'm getting geeked out about it because I really do yeah. enjoy that, and that's why. But that's why I always like talking to you after games and like during the week, like hey, did you see this? And we'll share plays, like because you know that you just saw something that you can gain if you go talk to these players about it. You gain that insight, and you know there are a lot of people who do this and they can analyze a game. You try to analyze it. But it's the access that provides the next step because there are so many things in a game that happen that you see on TV that you might think, oh, it's this. And then you talk to the guys and realize it was actually that. Or this player was covering up for this guy or whatever it is. But it does start from the work that you have to put in to then go ask that question. Right. And you have to... like I think the interesting thing about football especially is the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. A thousand percent agree. And it, you're just like, absolutely. oh, that just opened 17 more doors. Like, I'm glad I solved that problem, but now I have a hundred more. And it's, that was, that was really eye-opening for me as I started to get into it. When did, when did you, or do you remember kind of when you started learning that lesson? Yeah, it was when I, it's when you're young, because like, you know, this. Yeah. like you go in there and think, well, I, I played high school football. I know what I'm doing. No, you don't. I, you know, like I watch football. I know. No, you don't. I play Madden. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I mean, you, you don't know because it's such a, it is, you're talking about beyond a PhD level of, of sophistication that you have to, to reach. And you're right. Like just when you think you've got one thing figured out, then you realize that it spawns thousand more things you have to learn so um, it really is but I also think what what it what you really have to have because there are a lot of good reporters who maybe don't have a certain level of understanding of the game which sounds funny but they're really good at getting questions asking the right questions and knowing how to then explain it, and knowing what the story is because the story isn't always an X's and O's story but the X's and O's are a part of somebody's journey or a team's journey and the better you can, and it, again, to me, it's a pathway into a conversation that I can have with them. And um, so, I, but I do think it's, you know, so it's important, but I, you know, like I look at some other people like, well, they don't probably put, they don't probably watch the game the way you and I might, but they are really good at what they do because they know how to ask yeah. questions. They know what's important. 
and they're good storytellers. So that all matters. But I think, you know, I think you and I probably just have a different interest in that part of it. Um, and so you seek more information that way. But you're right. To me, it's like I like to I like wine. Wine to me is interesting along the same lines because you can learn about a, tip, a, a certain variety, a varietal of wine, and then you realize that it's going to take you down another path that you don't, you think you start to know wine and you realize, I don't really know anything. You know, and so it's the same. I, li- I like that level of discovery that you get from covering this game. And every year, Craig, every year I'm learning something different and, and trying to learn something different so I can ask a better questions or connect in a better way. Do you have a favorite story of a moment with a player or a coach where they kind of gave you that look like, oh, you do know what you're talking about? Um, there, well, listen, there are, there, that works both ways because you'll get some guys who... Well, of course, that's not what I asked, though. I asked for the good one, not the bad one, because <laughs> we've all had those moments, too, where like, oh, you think you know something, you little dummy? It, it happened. Like, I would say early in my career, there were coaches that would tell me, I'm talking, like, they're, okay, I'll give you an example. There, and I, who was it? It may have been during the, I don't know if it was a, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, whatever, back before the internet was as popular as it is now, and coaches would get the, the stories, um, you know, photo, you know, photocopied and handed out. They're not seeing it on the internet because I don't know how many people are even on there. So there was, I remember writing about a particular blitz in a game and the way it had to be set up. And like in crediting player X for what player Y eventually did because of the setup of the blitz. And, and I remember a coach coming up to me is like, I'm talking to you because you saw that. So like you realize like, you know, oh, okay. There was another time there was um, former uh, defensive coordinator, Ron Lynn. Anybody, you know, people, if you're a longtime Redskins fan, they're probably grabbing their heart right now because his defenses weren't very good. <laughs> but there was a time where Tom Carter was a defensive back, and there were some questions about, you know, the coaches had and all that about his willingness to be physical out there. And I remember pointing out something that he didn't do on a play, and Ron Lynn saying, that's a very astute observation. So, you know, that's not like, I mean, we're only talking a few times out of however many years I'm out there, but there are times where you see it's more so, but the point of that, though, to me was more so, I found all that stuff out because I went back and watched the games. Even then, I'd pop it in a VCR and watch at least as much as I could to gain more knowledge. So, But you do see early on that coaches do appreciate when you do that, even if, you're, even if there are times where you're not right on what you, how you interpret it, they at least appreciate the work you put in. And I know like we've had coaches here recently that would tell, would, I'm sure they told you the same thing. I appreciate that you're at least trying to put in the work. And sometimes you say, well, yeah. Yeah. and then you say, well, how close am I? I like, I appreciate you putting in the work. So, because sometimes you're just, like, <laughs> we're, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have, we're not always going to be right. And there are times where I'm like, I've talked to guys um, about certain players. And I'm like, I remember one coach, and I don't want to name this because, but seeing something in a, in um, the preseason a few years ago where I'm like, you know, Coach X, you got to help me out here because you guys keep saying this, but this is what I see. And the answer was, you, you're what you're seeing is correct. So yeah. then you know you're going on the right path. But but there was um, so like you see that, and again there is the flip side. There is definitely the flip side. 
Yeah, for sure. I think my favorite of the you get it stories, um, and this goes actually somewhat to the trainer side of me uh, as much as the X's and O's, but um, Trent Williams had a glute injury a couple years ago. And I remember asking him which side. And he's like, it's my left. I was like, oh, you're fine. Like, you're playing because he was a left tackle, which means his kick step, he had to push off his right leg. And he just gave me this look like, yeah, that's exactly right. And I was like, yeah, I figured it out. But it's like, it's those little details of like understanding, you know, I mean, I had the, the, for the anatomy stuff, I was always a step ahead, which is just my other backgrounds, which was helpful. But the understanding of how players play their position, how the granular details of how they cut, how they push off, how they accelerate, decelerate, those types of things can be, can be really helpful as well. Um, the, uh, on the flip side of it though, um, you know, continuing the, you open one door that you think is the answer and you find more doors. Some of my favorite on, on the, the back and forth with coaches would be, you're asking about a play, you're really focused on where the ball is and they give you the, hey, check out the rail route on the other side. And you go, oh my God, that was a touchdown. And then you have to figure out why the quarterback didn't look that direction, what, you know, which could all be another five-step problem of, pre-snap look coverage this guy did this you know someone ran the wrong route when you talk about each play having its own different story like it really could be a complex story it can be and it, and it's you know again and even on like defense and then it's you know Jim Hazlitt used to get annoyed with me because you know you you try to analyze this stuff and like you're not always going to be right and his defenses weren't very good at the time so the defense is not going to get a lot of great credit and therefore he's going to be mad more often than he's not but what I'd always tell some of these guys, like there was one time Mike Shanahan got mad at me and I used to do these 10 observations after every game and they were playing. And this is, it's always the, the throwaway line that you put in, but they're playing in Pittsburgh and there's a, there's a hurricane headed for Northern Virginia. So everybody wants to get out of there really quick. So I do 10 observations and I needed a 10th observation because I want to get my butt out of the press box for the drive home and get home ahead of this hurricane or whatever. So I mentioned in that game, they threw a flea flicker late in the game. I'm like, what are you throwing a flea flicker for? Who are you fooling? Well, I just threw it in there. And then the next morning I go back in, when I rewatch, I'm like, oh, okay, they fooled the linebacker. They did this, they did that. Well, I get a text from Shanahan complaining about like what I said. And the funny thing is like what you learn is, you know, if you criticize RG3, it was okay. But the play caller was his son, Kyle. So it wasn't okay. And I think I think the world of Kyle is a play caller. But I just was like that play. And I even texted Mike back. Yeah, I know. I saw it. When I went back and rewatched it, I did see it. And all, you know, and I saw that the linebacker got sucked way up. The play was open. It definitely was open. And they just, they missed it. Um, but, you know, so there are times like that. But the other thing, and I even would tell Mike, like, if you're going to criticize, you know, like, I know I'm right on a lot of the things that I see. So, what I never liked is if you're only going to point out when you're wrong. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, give me, you know, if, if I'm always wrong, please let me know. And I need, because I need to do better. But I know there are some things that I see. Like, I, didn't, I don't like to just, you know, I don't want to hear, like, if you say, hey, sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. I agree with that. I mean, who is, you know, nobody's, right. there are analysts who are wrong all the time who play oh, the God, game. Yeah. You know, like Reed Dowdy, this former safety would tell us, He's like, I'm watching the, you know, he would, this is what he was playing. And he would watch a play. He's like, I couldn't really always tell what coverage they were in. And then he'd hear what the announcers were saying. He's like, they're just wrong. And yet 
you know, and so we're going to be wrong about our interpretation of things. So, you know, but that's what I always wanted. Like, you know, if you are going to get on me for that, which is fine, that's you're putting your stuff out there. They're, they're, they have the right to say, you're an idiot or you're wrong. That's fine. Because like Mike said, he was right on what he saw, what he said. The play was open. It was a well-designed play. But it was 8 o'clock in the press box, and I wanted to get out of there. Um, right. But but anyway, so it, but it's more about, like I said, just, you know, if you're going to criticize, that's fine. And, like, I had another uh, – somebody who worked in the front office here um, one time. Like, I would – again, I would do – geez, you know – Back before the internet became really popular, I'd do like a studs and duds after practices and training camp, you know, or after games. And um, I had one one person in the front office said like, you know, I was like, yeah, I've been reading your stuff. I said, well, what do you think? Because I want to know like, again, am I an idiot? Am I seeing it right? Um, and he's just like, you know, if you put 10 scouts in a room, five are going to think this and five are going to think that. And I thought, okay, that's that's basically saying – some of the stuff you're going to agree with and some of the stuff you're not. That's exactly what happens within the building. Because, like, there are players there that they, right. they have different opinions on. I mean, the guys that the public thinks that everybody loves certain players, and in that building, there are split opinions on some of these guys. What I always appreciated, too, was coaches who would make you more right. You yes. get You get 75%, and they go, all right. Let me help you out. That's you're dead on. Let me let me show you this other thing that really made this play work. Watch right. this block. Watch this, you know, watch the other receiver, how he takes coverage away, and that opens up this area of the field where the ball goes. And Mike, and, and so, Mike was good with that. You're, yeah. you're right. I think a lot of coaches, a lot of those guys are really good with that because, again, if they feel like if you're just taking gratuitous shots, they're not going to help you. But if you're watching the stuff and trying to see it at a different level – I think then they will then then they're more apt to say, you know what, at least you're putting in the work. I'm going to try and help you more. Yeah, I also appreciated guys who were really consistent with how they answered stuff like that and that didn't BS you. Um, and, and two guys definitely come to mind with that. And actually, no, I'll, I'll even go three. Three of the quarterbacks. I mean, I guess really it was the three quarterbacks that I covered um, most extensively, um, which would be Kirk. Um, who was sometimes too honest at the podium, you know, Kirk, you could get Kirk afterwards and he would, he would give you a lot of insight that I always appreciated that. But even at the podium, Kirk would walk you through stuff. Um, Alex Smith was a little bit different in how he did it. He'd be very vanilla at the podium, but if you could get him off to the side, he was unbelievable. And, and I think, you know, on top of the, the, a thousand other things that are far more devastating about his injury than his relationship with us. I definitely know that you and I towards the end there, were starting to really get, uh, earn his trust. And as a guy who'd been around, like that was, that was meaningful. Um, and then Dwayne actually, and, and Dwayne's an interesting one, um, because he is so young and he's still learning so much, but he really could walk you through that stuff, why he did things. And, you know, it'd be interesting sometimes to go back and double check things with coaches and, you know, and this is not a shot. This is just the reality of being young and learning a new offense. There's sometimes where he would see stuff that wasn't there or, you know, the, the, what he was supposed to do may have been a little different than what he was trying to do, but he could walk you through his decision-making. He was not out there necessarily confused. He is, he has had reasons for why he did the things he did. And I think as the season went on and um, some things shifted behind the scenes, uh, he got, they, they created a, a, a system and where he could be more effective. And some of those decisions um, lined up with how he thought and, and he became more effective because of it. 
and, and I think Dwayne's a smart kid. And that's why, like, there yeah, was that well, narrative so that was, there was a narrative coming out at one point. Like, I, you know, we knew him. So, like, I'm not going to participate in that because I know different. I've talked to the kid. I've talked to others. And you're right. There are a lot of times where he's able to walk you through a play, even after a game, you might say, well, this is why I did this. And I also like that he, you know, he had that first-person account on Redskins.com recently where he was able to walk through plays where he learned from. That I like even more. But I agree with you. Like, all three of those guys in different ways where are, can provide – at the podium, Dwayne's not going to give you anything. He's just not. Um, but if you get him away and you sit down – and, again, specific questions. On this play, you did this. What were you seeing? You know, what happened here? And he'll give you, he'll go through all that. He's really good with that. And that's why, like, even last summer, before he really even knew what he didn't know, he was still good about, like, things that he was doing to get there and, and all that. So, and, you know, you're right, Alex, again, not great at the podium, but you get him away, and he was fantastic. And Kirk was good at both. He just, and Kirk was like that from the beginning when he was a rookie. We would ask him about a play in preseason, and he could go over that play and why he did a certain thing and how the coaches maybe didn't like that, but it may have worked. But in, but in the long run, over time, it may not be the smartest throw, but he took a chance. So, um, you know, which is funny because that's what he was known for not doing later on. But, but yeah, right. no, I think, and I think, but you're right about Dwayne. I think that, you know, there are some things that you can really build on with him that I think um, there was a narrative developing. And it's funny because some people don't want to let go of that narrative because they think now the narrative is truth. And I don't think we know the truth with him yet. He's a young kid who's still growing. I think over the next couple of years, we'll learn that. And he, you know, he's got the talent. You, you keep doing the work he's been doing. Then there's no reason why he can't be a, a solid quarterback. We've spent a lot of time talking about offense. I actually think defense might be more interesting um, because there are some times where defense is really, really simple. And there also, especially for the teams that we've covered, there have been times where defense has been made overly complex and that has actually caused issues. Um, I, I'm curious, like, what what positions over the years have you learned the most about defense from in terms of talking to coaches, players, et cetera? Because one of the, one of the things I find fascinating about defense is a lot of times the players don't know what the other ones are doing. Like if you're a linebacker, you might not really understand what's happening on the back end uh, or what's happening on the front four. Front four guys definitely don't have a clue about coverage. It is actually hysterical. Um, and, you know, there might be a, a certain prominent analyst uh, who works for the same place that you do that has gotten in trouble on television because he doesn't necessarily understand. You don't have to say anything about that. Don't get fired, John. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just tough We're when you're... a bad connection. <laughs> when you're, uh, you know, when you're... When you... Your life is the line of scrimmage, you don't necessarily have to understand the back end versus I, I find a lot of offensive linemen and um, just in general, I find a lot of offensive players seem to understand the entirety of their scheme and how the pieces interact. And I, I'm, I'm also genuinely curious, like why that is. And, and if you found anything on that over the years, you found, found a found the same things and B have any hypotheses as to why, you know, it's funny. Yeah. And there's a couple of things with that one. I know that one of it's, it's funny that you say about the players and all that. I kind of think that extends to coaches because one of the reasons mm -hmm. why the Redskins were looking for that passing game defensive, you know, passing game coordinator on defense a couple of years ago when they retained Greg Minuski 
was because the feeling was he knew the front seven, but he couldn't match the coverages with what they wanted to do at the front. He didn't have a deep understanding of the back four that you needed, so they wanted somebody like a Ray Horton to come in and help him with that. So I think that. Is, so I'm going to say that extends the coaches, and he is a former linebacker. Yeah. So I think yeah. with defense, with defense, you kind of go level by level, and there are only a couple guys who really know all that's going on. And you'd look at like when Will Compton was here, you know. Yeah. I think you know, or London Fletcher, who was you know, um, who was here obviously for a few years, and. Their knowledge, especially London, was so deep that he knew what everybody was doing. He was the coach on the field. But you still need that guy in the secondary to be that guy on the field. Whether it was when Will Blackman was here, he was really good with that. Matt Bowen back in the day, and that's why he's such a good analyst. And I think why Will Blackman would make such a good analyst. They, could, they do know what others are doing, and they understood how it fit with the others. So one of the things that I always like learning with defense, and it's very different from offense. Offense is so much more about the X's and O's part of it. Defense, it's, it seems to be as much about trust and doing your job. And so, like I say, trust, because like when Black, Will Blackman was here, and I've talked to him about this, when, Josh, when he was out there at safety and Josh Norman was at corner, he knew what Josh wanted to do when. He knew in this look, Josh Norman would react this way. So he could tell Josh, I got you here. Or he could tell Josh, you're on your own here. And then he could play accordingly. And I think that's the level of trust that you see. Like when the corner trusts the safety, what happens with the way they play a guy? That's, those are like the little things within the game that, that you try to pick out. I think that's bigger on defense, much more so. And then with the, with the defensive front, how do the, you know, how do the linebackers play behind whatever line they have? And, and you know, how do, do guys give each other, give themselves up to maybe help on a stunt? And you see that guy, you know, again, like you may have a stunt to the outside or, you know, maybe an, an end tackle stunt. And so the, the tackles coming outside gets a sack, but he's getting the sack because the end takes out two guys. That's a selfless play. Not everybody wants to do that because they want the numbers. So like that, you know, but you realize like how important some of that stuff is and, so I think with the defense, it's much more in the details of their individual jobs and then how does it mesh um, and the level of trust you have to have um, to do it. And our guys freelancing, when Zach Brown was here, there was a lot of freelancing going and didn't always know what was going on. And so that led to issues. And if you're making big plays all the time, people overlook it. If you're not, it's a problem. And same on same in the secondary. So it's just, it's, it's the different fit on defense that I enjoy exploring because it definitely... It's, it's, it's a lot different than how you're looking at offense. It's all about setting guys up and doing this and do that. Defense, it's a lot more, it seems to be a little bit more subtle than that. Because there are only so many schemes and things that you can throw at an offense. Right, right. And I think the mentalities are so different too. You know, the, the classic John Allen, like, I'm just going to line up with the guy's ass in front of me. And you're like, okay, right. John, you have a great game. <laughs> right. You know, and, and Terry McLaurin, who is both incredibly tough and physically gifted and you you would say like yeah that's a tough dude you ask him about like what his job is and he's going to start getting into a lot of intricacies of uh you know I'm going to have to clear space on this I'm going to have to block and make sure that my angle is here and th- and you're like whoa that's different um and the same can be said for coaches um you know Greg Minuski was oh let's line up and crack skulls and you're like okay um you know Jay Gruden who would be like oh we have to establish line of scrimmage we have to do this but quickly it gets to you know accentuating horizontal and vertical spaces and attacking those types of things so uh, I think the mentality is is also different and, and that trickles different. down 
coaches. And I'd be curious too, like some of the better ones, if there's more crossover, if like, you know, insert joke here, but I've covered the Washington Redskins. I haven't been around good defensive coaches. Um, statistically speaking, that that is held up. Um, but if you were around, um, you know, Dick LeBeau, like what, how does he think about defense versus your, your more average level uh, NFL defensive coach? Well, and, and the funny thing is like, cause I was here, I covered Greg Williams and Greg Bloss, some really good defensive coordinators, Marvin Lewis. So you get a sense, Ray Rhodes was here for a year, but with specifically to Dick LeBeau. And I think mm-hmm. part of it is, and I remember I've talked to coaches who were on staffs with him and here. And part of what they would say is that, you have to understand the rules of a defense because everyone's going to put in a basic foundation, right? But then within there, there are going to be rules. If you if they show this, this is how we're going to react. And it was, you know, when when Jim Hazlitt was here, he ran the same defense as Dick LeBeau. But the one of the compl- one of the things I would hear is that while he would run the same defense, maybe he didn't have the same level of understanding as to the rules of the defense. How do you then adjust? That's where Dick LeBeau would, would be different. He could explain all of that. And I think there was, I remember hearing from players at that time that there would be confusion about that here. So I think that was one of the things is, you know, Dick LeBeau basically created the way that defense went. So he's going to know more, but it's, it's one thing to know a defense, but it's another thing to be able to explain and to know all the rules of how the defense has to change based on a look, based on a motion, and that's where, you, that's where you get into communication breakdowns. That's why you'd see that. So if you're not good at explaining all that and putting guys in a position where they're overthinking or something or maybe not sure, uncertainty is going to lead to slow play. It leads to big mistakes. So that's what we've seen over the years. So I think that's one of the differences between like what a LeBeau defense would be versus what we've seen here in the last 10 years. Let's wrap up with one or two more on storytelling. Um, we all hear these amazing stories um, and we meet guys and we start developing relationships. Do you use stories as a way to get to know people better or do you try to, if you hear a good story, like, are you like, okay, I have to wait till I have the right relationship to be able to ask this? Well, I think it depends on the guy, <clears throat> but there are definitely times where I say, I want to get to know that person better. So I've got to find a reason to talk to that person. What is their story? <clears throat> Sometimes, though, like, you know, I think um, you had, you were the one who told me about Capri Bibbs. You would talk to him and you found out that, you know, some of mm-hmm. his backstory. So I filed that yeah, away yeah. and I file it away and say, like, it's not the time to do it for me now because it was like the end of the season and for ESPN, it wasn't going to be, he's not yep. a, a name there, but it's a great training camp story. So then it's like, so then I filed away and you talk to him a few times, you get to know him a little bit better. And then you're able to sit down and they see your face more. They see you around all the time. So there's a different level of trust that develops. Then I can get into the deeper aspects of that story. So yeah, you know, you can't go up, some guys you could probably go up to right away and get like certain details because they're really good at giving it. Other guys, like when, when Sean Taylor was here, um, he was someone who, it took him a while to trust the coaches, let alone the media. And so it was going to take a while to get to be able to penetrate some of that. And the sad thing is, when he was murdered, we were starting to get to that point, I felt, like where he was starting to get to the point where he was going to be more comfortable with us, which would have led to a lot of really good insight from a very smart football player. Um, but I do think it depends on the topic, too. For, you know, if it's something that, 
you know, again, Capri, I go back, I keep going back to Capri Vins because it's a, it's fresh in my mind. I did this story a couple of years ago, but um, it's also ends up to be a positive story. It's easier to go back and say, man, look what you went through to get to this point. And your mom has emerged in a really good spot too. So there's a lot of positives to it. So it makes it easier than to go talk to them. It, you know, it's a lot harder if somebody has gone through something where it's like they just went through it. So then you better get to know them and say, can I ask you about this? You know, and there's, you know, or like I did something on Ziggy Hood a couple, mm. several years ago where it was all about his son. His son is very, is mentally um, challenged and, and, and severely handicapped and all the struggles that they went through. But I didn't go to him. I went to him because he had, he had mentioned it in a Players Tribune article. So then you're like, okay, you get to know him. You talk to the agent like, hey, you and you say, would you be willing to talk about this? And he's like, yes, because those conversations are tough. In the middle of that interview, he starts to, to tear up because it, it has been a struggle. It has been a journey, and it's difficult, but you're also, he's also very proud, and you can feel that as a, as a, as a dad. So there are, it depends on the story, but I think that's a good question because you can't just go up to a guy, like, you know, if you start covering the Redskins now, you can't go up to Alex Smith and say, man, tell me about that leg injury. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. you can't you can't be that obtuse, but but there are stories where you know like this guy's got a good story. I want to get in with him a little bit, get to know him and say, I'd like to talk to you about this when you're ready. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's also uh where we're gonna have to end for today. We could talk about this stuff forever and maybe it'll be a part two down the road. But good to see you. Good to talk great to you. you. And uh Continue success, and I look forward to eventually reading the uh, the stories you've been waiting to write because I'm sure you've got a couple in the holster, even if you won't tell us what they are, for good reason because I don't want someone to steal them. Yeah, well, you know the other thing, Craig. The funny thing is, I did have one that I was really looking forward to, but because of the way the the world has changed, I don't know if it's the right time to write it. But it would be a fun mm. story to do, and it involves someone we both really like and had dealt with. So, but it's you know as part of it, but. So, like, I don't know if I can get to that story because, like, is it really something that I need to write about now? Is it really germane to now? I don't know. So, I'm going right. to, that one I might come out in the summertime. But, yeah, there's going to be definitely other stories where you say, this is a good time to do it. And I always tell, you know, you tell me, like, take advantage of the opportunity you have. And right now, the opportunity is, mm-hmm. you know, guys are probably easier to get on the phone. And, um, you know, and so you can, you can, like, you know, you have time. You have time. So, but yeah, this was great, Greg. I always love talking to you about this. This is what I'm going to miss with you, out, you being out there all the time because these are a lot, you know, for people listening, these are the conversations we have out there. And that's, you know, it's fun that you're bringing it out to this media. Yeah, for sure. Just having conversations. That's what this podcast is about. So good to talk to you, my friend. I see what you did there. All right, man. Take care. Talk to you soon, man. John Kime of ESPN.com is Cover the Redskins for 25 years. Incredible conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I'm sure that some of you who have missed some of the early episodes of the podcast because you caught this via John's Twitter feed or you're like, oh, it's Craig and John. I definitely want to listen to that as a Redskins fan. Uh, then I definitely would love for you guys to check out some previous versions. Last week, I talked to Gina Salvatore, who's an up-and-coming sports media professional out of Connecticut. She was 
awesome. People loved that podcast. Had so many people texting me and tweeting me saying, oh my God, I'm such a big Gina fan now. She was awesome. And then previous topics I've gotten into a little bit uh, non-sports related or a lot non-sports related uh, in terms of a politics podcast. I talked to Mary Mancini, who is the chair of the Tennessee Democratic Party for this podcast. And episode one was with my boy Clinton Yates, which covered a lot of things. It talked about, we talked about sports. We talked about how much the Washington Nationals winning the World Series meant to him. Uh, but we also talked about race and where those two things intersect in terms of sports and culture and race. And it was just a, a really good conversation. And frankly, uh, I think a lot of people could benefit from listening to it uh, and get a little bit better understanding of what a lot of people, specifically in the black community, are feeling right now uh, with Ahmaud Arbery's murder in the news and, and what that, a lot of the things we touched on then, months and months before uh, that happened and, and certainly before the news story became what it was, um, I think are extremely relevant right now. So check out those editions of the podcast. If you like just the sportscaster stuff, you, you just don't want to mess with some of the other stuff, like, I get it. Um, we're all in crazy mental places right now um, and certain people are into certain conversations, but I hope you do come back at least next week. Uh, more uh, conversations coming up. A couple of uh, friends of mine from Syracuse who are on the play-by-play side of things are, are definitely going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks and i got some other plans as well that i got to lock in that we'll do more with the sportscaster series and the sports writer series and, and talk about sports and the craft and what all goes into doing it doing the things that we do so appreciate you listening and thanks again to john for coming on follow him on twitter at john underscore time make sure you get me at craig hoffman on instagram at craig underscore hoffman and john doesn't have an instagram and if he did it would be a bunch of pictures of him pretending he's on a banana as a phone the inside joke you know you know thanks for listening catch you next time on chasing interesting